welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Libraries Turn the Page podcast. I am really excited to have our author here today. Uh, Dark Moon Shallow Sea was a really good fantasy read, I have to say, and I'm really picky with my fantasy. Um, so now I need to go back and read all of your other books as, you know, just people who do fantasy in just refreshing ways. And Dark Moon Shallow Sea definitely did as well. Uh, so why don't you actually... Um, Introduce yourself, tell us who you are, and tell us about this book. Okay, so I'm David R. Slayton. I'm the author of Dark Moon, Shallow Sea, which is out on October 31st, 2023. Um, I'm most known for White Trash Warlock, which is the first book in my Adam Binder series. And like Adam, I'm gay and from Guthrie, Oklahoma. So I grew up in a time and place where finding any kind of fantasy fiction with diversity was impossible. And then finding anything where we were the main character or the hero just just didn't happen. So getting to write Dark Moon Shallow Sea and work with a publisher like Blackstone is literally a lifetime dream come true. Um, I've worked on this book for so long and I love it so deeply. And I love all my other books, but I have to be honest, this one is, I call it my feral firstborn because I actually wrote it first. And it has been living in my basement of my brain, in the basement of my brain for all these years. So now it's finally out, moved out and paying rent. <laughs> so. Oh, wow. Yeah, I I really, I really enjoyed it. It was really good. Um, it's got some really great mythology in it. It's got three really wonderful characters. Um, there's Kinos, there's Seth, and there's Rafe. Um, and I kind of love them all in their own little way and sort of how they fit into this world. So um, so this is like, the mythology is really rich and it sort of starts at a place where uh, the moon goddess has been murdered by the knights of the sun god. And uh, that is not good. And mayhem ensues. So being that this is your feral firstborn, please talk to me a little bit about just sort of where this all came from. Um, you know, I think like we spoke a little bit before this interview, and I can tell you are a and d player, um, which I am as well, you know, and, and uh, I, I have questions about that as well. But uh, when did this whole when did when did Dark Moon Chalice move into your basement? And did all of these characters sort of uh, share a room down there <laughs> before you started writing them? Well, it's a long, it's a long evolution. Um, and it really started with Rafe. So the main character, Rafe, he's the moon goddess's last worshiper. And like you said, her death stopped the tides, darkened the night sky, and left the ghosts of the dead without a path to the underworld. So I'm drawing on some Greco-Roman stuff. I definitely have a more Mediterranean setting. That said, I didn't want to work with the Olympians because everybody writes the Olympians and they're great, but they're also very well known. So I wanted to work with the Titans, their, their parents, the generation of gods that came before them, who are the second generation of gods after the more primordial elemental beings. So I liked working with these gods because they're far less defined. But it started with Rafe. Rafe popped into my head. And since you are a 
D&D player. And Baldur's Gate 3 is doing really, really well out there right now. He actually first came to me when I played Baldur's Gate 1 20 years ago. So Rafe, and then you could upload a portrait, a picture of whatever you wanted um, to make your, you know, they had portraits in the game, but you could upload custom pictures. And this is back when we were still downloading JPEGs and things and cropping them. And I downloaded a, and there were people who put cropped um, sized images of every fantasy cover ever out there. And I found one with a um, black haired young man, really a boy conjuring some magic. And it just, that image really launched Rafe in my mind. And as he grew in my head over time, playing him in that game, um, I will also say I knew that if you played Baldur's Gate on multiplayer, but played by yourself, you could make more than one character. So I actually also created Kinos. So Kinos and Rafe come from this very long period ago, and it did not take them long to become completely their own thing. And they, these characters, I knew I wanted to write a book about them almost immediately, but I didn't, I was still trying to get through college. I was still trying to figure some stuff out in life. So they were back burner, but they're always in the back of my mind. And that's what I mean by being in the basement. They're just constantly like, hey, what about that? What about that? So I start with character. I started with Rafe. And the first thing you should do in fiction is have conflict. And you should have give the character a problem, a big problem. And I've always been a bit of a goth boy. So <laughs> I've got my black wall behind me as I work at a dark moon shallow sea it's kind of right there you know it's on the label so i thought well moon goddess night goddess and the more i i started researching the folklore and what myth we have of the titans especially the titans of night phoebe coeus creus um erebus nyx and you know them and their primordial parents uh i really rafe just began to take more and more shape and so for a long time, I've been studying the mythology of the Titans, the mythology of night, as well as just letting it all percolate. And eventually that culminated in this book. I love that you used the Titans. And um, yeah, you're right. I love the Olympians, but they are used a lot. And they've been done, you know, pretty, pretty well in how they've been used. But, um, you know, it sort of makes everything feel fresh when you're starting something that is maybe not as well treaded territory but i really liked just this whole how when you first meet rafe it's like you're immediately sort of set into his conflict you know like you have his situation and he's already in peril and this is where you meet you know you meet kinos which i i don't want to get too much into um where he comes from but it's um it's super fun and um that particular plot device you know where uh, always endears me to that character immediately i um you know these um these characters that i, I mean it's not that much of a, um, a a spoiler i guess you know who are just kind of found in a box and they're alive and you know you kind of they, they become like just sort of like they're mysterious but there's also like a little bit of I, innocence to them because 
you're not really sure where they came from and they're not a hundred percent sure what their purpose is either. So like, that's like one of my, one of my favorites from like, um, God, I don't want to say River Tam from, from Firefly, but she's kind of one of those, uh, too, although she doesn't remember how she became how she was, but, um, you know, she remembers things about her past, but then, you know, uh, what is it? Like, it's just, it's one of my favorite things. Um, and I just loved the two of them together and I loved sort of their interaction. And I liked that Rafe was the last moon worshiper. Um, how did you sort of, how did Seth come into the whole thing? Because he was really, in, he's really interesting too. And I also really, really liked him. Well, in early drafts, so I kind of fell in love with him is the problem with Seth. Um, he started out as a villain and he was not a very interesting villain in the first drafts. He was just very dogmatic. He was hunting for the last worshiper of the moon. He's hunting for the what was in the box. So just to give people a little bit of a setup, in the first chapter, Rafe has heard that the Knights of the Sun God have snuck a box into their temple. So he's like, I'm going to go steal that for some payback. He's been starving on the streets. He's trying to get by. So he sneaks in, um, almost stabs Seth. That's like the second paragraph and doesn't because he's actually a good person. And then, but when he op gets the chance to open the box, he finds Kinos sleeping inside. And Rafe is immediately curious about Kinos and drawn to him partly for the reasons Jessica mentioned. Kinos is innocent. He's lost in this city by the sea that is gritty and dark and haunted by ghosts. And Rafe can navigate it because his last gift from his goddess is the ability to see in the dark. So he essentially steals Kinos. Um, Seth was originally going to be just straight up villain. He was just going to be, I've got to catch this guy from the box. I've got to punish whoever took him. And that kind of take was really boring to me. I don't like villains who you know, are what I call mustache twirlers. They're very cliche. Like, I'm evil for being evil. Ah um, so I wanted to give him some depth. And that meant getting in his head. Why does he believe the things he does? Why does he worship Hyperion the way that he does? And the more time I spent with him, the more I understood him. And like I said, I fell in love with him a little bit. So he's kind of my broken boy. <laughs> he's my broken golden boy. And he really is. He's such a blast to write. And I love working with him and his character and his conflict. His conflict is that he is imperfect. So he's a knight of the sun. But and, he, and like the other knights, he can conjure the god's fire. But when he does, it burns him. Whereas the other ones are immune to that magic. So that flaw in him is the thing he prays daily to be to be healed or to be removed by Hyperion. And it's what drives so much of his earnestness and his desire for acceptance. They're all very lonely people. You know, Rafe is the last of his kind. Seth is the person, the outcast in his group. He's the people who, he's the person that doesn't fit. Um, Kinos has his own issues. And like we said, we won't get too much into spoilers but as we learn more about Kinos. So they're all kind of lonely and that draws drives a lot of their motivations and a lot of their actions in the book and why they do some of the things and make some of the choices they do. So 
your um, Adam Binder books, which I definitely have to go back and read, um, are urban fantasy. And that's kind of like, you know, one thing I loved Dark Moon, Shall Shallow Sea, epic fantasy, and me have sort of a, um, we, I, we, I, I'm very, very picky when it comes to my epic fantasy, uh, you know, like the world, it has to feel very tangible, it has to feel like something I can live in. Otherwise, I don't suspend my disbelief as much. And I was able to do that here. Um, how, like, was it very difficult for you, especially as someone who plays D&D &D in Baldur's Gate, because that's really more on the epic side. Was it difficult for you to write in one genre versus the other, um, especially since this one um, apparently came before your others? Well, and I should say too that Dark Moon and Shallow Sea has been extensively re rewritten from those early drafts. So how I wrote Urban, it's, I, I love urban fantasy as a genre. I just, I think it's fantastic. It can be a lot of fun. You go back to things like Buffy, um, which was for many of us, I think our introduction to urban fantasy. So, and Why Trash Warlock has been called, the Scottsdale Library said that if the Dresden Files and Supernatural had a gay baby, that would be White Trash Warlock. Um, but I, I'd written an epic fantasy and we, I've written a couple actually, I have a few in my, in my catalog and my agent hadn't been able to sell it. We were submitting it and we weren't, you know, we just weren't getting anywhere. And I was starting to get down about writing. I was starting to, I'd written a couple of these books, I'd rewritten them, I'd edited, edited them extensively. And I was just starting to hate writing, to be honest, because I didn't feel like I was ever going to make it and it was ever going to get out there. So I had attended a couple of writing conferences, particularly one where I heard Gail Carriger speak. And she had gone through a similar thing where she had written an epic fantasy and it just wasn't getting anywhere. So she said, try something completely different and wrote Solace, which is steampunk and wonderful. And it, I highly recommend it. It's probably my favorite love story. So... I essentially took that advice and said, you know what? I'm starting to hate writing. I'm starting to hate this grind of trying to publish, get an aid, you know, get a sale. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to write something for me. I'm going to just start over and do something. And I want it to be weird and gay and fun. And I started writing it. And I was like, you know, if, it, if I get something decent out of it, I, maybe I'll throw it up on Wattpad or my website, you know, give it away. And maybe people will like it and that'll get me enough of an audience that someone would, would buy an epic. And I was about really close to done with it. And I said, you know, I think this actually might be something commercial. I think this might be something that a publisher would want. And at the time, urban fantasy was very stalled or was very dead. Um, the Dresden Files had stalled, uh, The Hollows by Kim Harrison, the only thing that was still consistently running, I think, at that time was Sean McGuire's um, October Day series, which is fantastic. So big fan of that one. And sent it over to uh, sent it over to my agent and said, what do you think? And she said, yeah, no, this is amazing. Um, and it ended up becoming my debut. So sometimes if you get really stuck, the best thing you could do is just change gears and try a completely different tact. And that that worked out for me. And then after Warlock and its two sequels, Trailer Park Trickster and Debbie Druid, hit a certain level of success, then I think um, people were willing to take a chance on something a little bit more from me and with the epic. So we, I polished off Dark Moon Salisee, gave it a deep rewrite because it had been lying in a drawer for a long time and 
and my writing had evolved and I could, and I was a more mature writer. I was better at my craft so I could make a better book out of it. And that's, um, so it's, it's kind of weird, but I do, I do use a lot of high fantasy in my urban. There's a lot of planar travel. So I kind of sneak a little more epic or high fantasy into my urban than usual. Uh, who was your favorite character to write in this series? Or, or I shouldn't say series. Are we going to get another one? Is this the first of a few? <laughs> that, that's, that's how Blackstone's marketing it, which I think is Yay! really cool. So they're saying, they're saying it's a series. I hope it's a series. I will say for, for listeners, Darkman Chalice is one and done, meaning that it's a standalone. It's all wrapped up. I don't leave you any cliffhangers or loose ends. So if we don't get more, you'll have a satisfying ending, you know, but if we do get more, I would love to visit, revisit this world and these characters. I do have the title for the second one already, and I do have outlines for them both for two more. Uh, and I have plans for novellas and spinoffs if it does well enough that people want those for some side characters. Uh, it was Seth. It's funny because Rafe is Rafe is my um, he's my firstborn. I love him so much. I uh, he's he's kind of a little bit snarky. He's kind of a little bit cocky. He's he's angry. And he has good cause. He expresses a lot of the anger I felt when I was his age at the world, that sense of injustice. My books are new adult. So my care, you know, I get a lot of upper young adult crossover, but honestly, my book, my books are about 20, 20 somethings, early 20 somethings usually. And Rafe is 23. So he is, he is expressing a lot of what I felt at his age at the world. And because of his, upbringing and because of his background he's not maybe as mature as he should be in some places which is another common thing something that occurred to me which is you know kind of what happens when you grow up gay in a rural area is there's a whole lot more to learn um about the world and how it works so while it should be rafe it honestly was seth i think because he's so different than me he is nothing like me in so many ways and spending time with him was learning about a new person learning about new perspectives that were so different than mine and it just made him a lot of fun plus he's just a genuinely good person despite all of his problems and despite the fact that he is kind of the antagonist yeah <laughs> so i guess not kind of <laughs> i mean who, okay but who doesn't love you know one of those like those gray antagonists i mean you you talk about buffy there were so many of them in Buffy. Honestly, my favorite, and I, I don't know if I really even consider her an antagonist. She was kind of more of like a villain of the week, but she's my favorite. I loved Anya. Mm -hmm. She's my favorite. I will never, ever, ever forgive them for what they did to Anya. Um, <laughs> she asked for it. Emma Caulfield asked for that. Yeah. That was what she's the one. So I know. Much. But it's good. It twists the knife so well when you take... Um, you do that you got to be careful with that move but but you know you also have you know like um um avatar the last airbender you have the zuko arc antagonist and that sort of sets the i i think like that set the bar really really high for a gray antagonist you know for somebody who um starts off as just this really angry person who's pursuing somebody who's innocent and then you kind of grow to love them um so i kind of see where you're going from, where you're coming from there i think of zuko the scene the 
episode where he goes on the date with the girl and you know they're so far away from the war and he lights the lanterns yet she mm-hmm. has or close her eyes so she won't learn he's a firebender i love yes i love suko and i could see some parallels between zuko and seth if i dug a little um seth i think is more intrinsically broken but they do they have some things there i definitely Zuko, zuko's redemption is one of my one of my all-time favorite things in in fiction just the way that they they took it took a long time but he and Aang finally did like the um dragon dance together and mastered firebending uh and then when Sokka and the others were making fun of them and that's when Zuko realized he was part of the gang that he'd been accepted it's like oh they're they're making fun of me guys that that such a beautiful arc for Zuko a hundred percent um and um yeah no for sure but you're right Seth is more intrinsically broken um in a bunch of ways uh and I I loved him too honestly he was he was kind of my favorite as well so um (laughs) thank you uh so I mean do you have anything I I know that you have um ideas for spinoffs of this do you have anything else that you're working on do you have like a dream project well honestly this one was my dream so I just got my author copy yesterday and I'm holding, I'm really having a hard time not reaching for it right now and picking it up. It's just a foot away. Um, but this, this was my dream project. Uh, I love all of my books. I love all of my kids, but don't tell the others. This one's really my favorite. Um, I, I have a hardback fantasy. A hardback is gorgeous. It has the map drawn by Jake Shandy. He did an amazing job. It has the, incredible cover design by sarah Riedlinger at blackstone and the cover design was this incredibly collaborative process where she sent me six options so what do you think of these i said i really like number three but i like parts of two and parts of four and we worked together to massage it all into what we got it was but her design of the cover was just stunning and then if you take the jacket off the hardcover it has this black leather with blue marbling effect which is very much my vibe so this is the dream project and in a couple weeks i'll get the audiobook and i'll be able to listen to it read by michael david axtell who it was also the narrator for my adam series and got to narrate my short story in the thriller anthology so he is he is my voice he is the voice of my characters and i cannot wait to hear what he does with these characters so I'm writing on cloud nine right now. I, yes, I have plenty of other projects and yes, I have other things that I hope sell, but that's going to take me a little while to get, to get over the fact that I can actually hold this one in my hands after all this time. Again, it started so long ago in my head and in my heart. That said, we do have a spinoff to the Adam series coming out next year in October of 2024 called Rogue Community College. It is very much a found family Still in urban fantasy, but like I said, it sidesteps a little more into high because a lot of it takes place in the spirit realm. If you've read Deadbeat Druid, you will see where it's going. You will see some familiar faces from the Adam series, but it's not an Adam book. It's about Isaac. And it is Umbrella Academy meets X-Men or Umbrella Academy meets Doctor Who. So it's, it's hopeful. It's uplifting. It's found family. It's also just got a really wide, diverse cast, and I'm excited to get to show more types of characters and show more corners of the Adam world that I didn't get to explore in that series so far. 
And then I should also say, if you read my work very carefully, you will find little threads that tie them all together. So even the epic fantasies and the urbans have, you know, certain things in my cosmology that touch upon them, each other. So again, I wanted to just get back to D&D. What is your favorite character to play? I always play a rogue. Always. Um, I actually, I did play a cleric once. I wrote, rolled up silver from the Adam series as a cleric, and he was a uh, very kind of cynical healer. <laughs> he was really fun. Um, I've actually played him as an Aladdin rogue before too. So I've played silver himself. I'm, I've rolled up, uh, I, but I tend to play rogues. I like rogues a lot. If I had to make Rafe into a character in D and D, he'd be a cleric slash rogue. Um, he's cause he's got a little bit, or he'd be a monk with some of the, a, a shadow monk with, rogue but roguism i don't know why i just like that striker i just love getting into like play support and also back people up and uh backstab when i can i definitely always play magic users and i, I don't know i just for some for some reason i just have a lot of fun um with that type of character but my husband plays rogues all the time like that is that is his character so uh yeah well, and I will say too, I'm more of a DM than I am a player. I've DM'd for geez, whenever the Lord of the Rings movies first came out. That's when I got into it, and so I um I've DM'd for decades, but I have only played a handful of times as a player. So I, I tend to run games, and I love to homebrew my world and work, especially work in sites like settings like Ravenloft. So I love a good gothic horror vibe. And you can see that influence, obviously, in Dark Moon Jealousy. Jessica's nodding along. She's like, yeah, I get it. I, I'm a big fan of that, too. So uh, I'm all for it. Well, thank you so much. This was super, super fun. Um, Dark Moon Jealousy is great. It is a just really nice, freshly written epic fantasy. Um, and uh, check it out. And thank you so much, David, for chatting with us. Thank you so much for having me, Jessica. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. So we are going to close this chapter of Turn the Page. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.